Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Good, good morning from my side as well. Nice to have you all here. And um, those of you who like to follow in your own Bibles, you're welcome to open up at uh, Proverbs chapter 1. So we, we're talking a bit about wisdom from... I'm just going to be sharing a little bit from Proverbs chapter 1 mostly. And um, the book starts off by saying that it was written by Solomon, King Solomon, King of Israel, uh, the son of David. And he's well known as, as a wise man. In fact, he asked God for wisdom. When God offered him a choice between riches and the lives of his enemies... Or wisdom, he chose wisdom. And then God said, okay, you chose wisely. <laughs> and because you chose wisely, I'm going to give you the other stuff as well <laughs> that you didn't ask for. And um, he, he wrote the book of Proverbs, including also some Proverbs by other people, but, but he sort of collected them. And um, what is wisdom? And I'm, I'm sure you guys shared sort of many ideas uh, about wisdom, that, that what you think wisdom is. Uh, one definition I heard of wisdom, I think it was from an Old Testament scholar called Gerard van Raad. Um, he said wisdom is being competent regarding the realities of life. Wisdom is being competent regarding the realities of life. In other words, it's knowing what, how life really works and being competent with the reality of life. Not being deceived about life, but really understanding what life is about and being able to live well within that understanding. Um, also, wisdom is knowing what the will of the Lord is, including in the 80% plus times when the moral laws don't apply. Okay? Or at least apply directly. I think the moral laws always apply, but sometimes they don't apply directly. Like, for instance, let me give you an example. When you, when you have to choose between two job offers, it's not always easy. Because it's not, it's not necessarily a moral choice. It's, it's uh, you know, if, if one of the job offers is to be a drug dealer, then, of course, it's a moral choice. <laughs> but if it's like a normal job, you know, just an average normal job, you know, uh, to be a programmer at this company or that company, then it's, 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 it's not a moral choice, you know. But making the wrong choice can be quite disastrous for you and for the company that you say yes to, and for the people around you. It can, it can make things very difficult when you make the wrong choice. And in order to make the right choice, you need to know yourself, the reality of who you are, the, understand the reality of, of, of you know, the job that you're going to do, um, and, and maybe even the reality of your, of your family and whether you should relocate them or whether they should stay at the same place, all that kind of stuff. But wisdom is, is that ability to... To be competent regarding the realities of life, to know what the will of the Lord is, even in situations when it's not a moral choice per se, when the moral laws don't directly apply. Okay, so let's, let's read those couple of verses. Let me see if I, can, if I can get... Why doesn't this one open? There we go. If I can get this thing to, to project. No... I'm sorry, I, uh, I had the slides right and now it closed the thing and opened it again. So let me just fix that. Um, so I'm going to be talking about the way of wisdom. 
uh, and, and the way to wisdom specifically. Okay, so here we go. Let's project it. There we go. So let's read from Proverbs chapter 1. Verse 1 says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight. And that's sort of the summary, and then he sort of expands on it. For receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for um, giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, to, to the young. Uh, let, let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables and the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom. And let me just read the, the other few verses as well. The end of the chapter from verse 28 says, Then... So he's referring to, it's sort of a a speech that wisdom is giving, Lady Wisdom, who who is sort of representing God also in his wisdom. And and she's saying, you know, how long will the the, the simple and the foolish, you know, hold on to their their foolish ways um, and not listen, you know, when when I'm willing to give them the the insight and the wisdom that they need. Uh, And then she says, you know, because they don't listen to me when, when calamity comes, I'm also not going to listen to them. So uh, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me. Since they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear, uh, to fear the Lord. Since they would not accept my advice and spurned my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. Father God, we just thank you for your word, and thank you, Lord, that your word is truth, Lord, that, that really teaches us how to live well. And we pray, Lord, that you'll help us in Jesus' name to live well before you. And Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come and instruct our hearts, Lord. Thank you that you have something to say to each one of us, Lord, from your word. And we pray, Lord, that our hearts will be wide open to receive what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Proverbs teaches um, us about wisdom, and it teaches us a few things. Firstly, it teaches us that wisdom is important. If you go and read the book of Proverbs, you'll see there's a lot of times that it just says, wisdom is very important. Make sure that you get it. What, whatever else you get, get wisdom. Okay, wisdom is important. Um, secondly, it teaches us that initially none of us has it. We don't start off having wisdom. So we all start off at the same place being not wise. In fact, the Bible talks about, Proverbs talks about foolishness being bound up in the heart of a child. So we all start off as children being foolish. So we all start off initially not having wisdom, but then it says that wisdom can be learned. And in fact, wisdom should be learned. And in the, the passage that we read in, um, 
in chapter 1 from, from the early verses, from verse 1, it talks about gaining wisdom. It talks about instruction. It talks about um, receiving. It talks about teaching. It talks about all those things that are, um, that, that, that are ways of talking about receiving, learning wisdom. Okay, so, so the encouragement is that, that we need to learn wisdom. Uh, and I, I just want to show you um, a few things here in the text where it talks about learning wisdom. There are a few steps in learning wisdom. So he talks about in, in verse 2, for gaining wisdom and instruction and then understanding words of insight. And in the, the verses um, following that, sorry, my thing doesn't want to project now for some other reason. But in the, in, the, in the verses following that, in verse 3, he says, for receiving instruction. So it takes the perspective. Wisdom, there are sort of three steps in wisdom. Okay? It takes the perspective first of a student. For receiving instruction in prudent behavior. Prudent behavior means practical, common sense, strategy. Do we, being able to do the right thing, not only know the right thing, but able to execute and do the right thing. And then he talks about in the areas of doing what is right, what is just, and what is fair. So firstly, you're a student, and you learn how to live and act right, fair, just, practically. Uh, then he says, for giving prudence to those who are simple and knowledge to those who are uh, young. So the, second st- the first step is that you're the student. The second step is that you're the teacher. So wisdom is received not only by being a student, but wisdom is received by being a teacher. You cannot fully receive wisdom if you're not willing to teach others. You cannot fully receive wisdom unless you're also willing to give it. Okay? And then he says, even when you are a teacher who teaches others, in in verse 5, let the wise listen and add to their learning. So once you're a wise teacher who's teaching others, you can still add to your learning. So it's receiving, it's giving, and then it's adding. In other words, if you want to be wise, if you want to walk this process of becoming wise, then you must first be a, a learner and receive wisdom. Then you must become a teacher and give wisdom. And then you must become a lifelong learner who adds to the wisdom that you already has, have all the time. In other words, you cannot be wise without being humble, without being teachable, without saying, I can never say I've arrived when it comes to this wisdom thing. There's always more to learn. There's always more to receive. There's always more to discover. So wise people are lifelong learners and teachers who receive, who give, and who add to their wisdom all the time. Okay? And I think that's quite profound and quite encouraging um, as well. But then he says in verse 7, he says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools, uh, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So he talks about the, the, the fear of the Lord um, as, as the beginning of, of wisdom. So, so what does that mean? We spoke about the fear of the Lord before, but what, what does that mean that it's the beginning of knowledge and wisdom? So the idea that the fear of the Lord is the, um, is the beginning of, of wisdom is found in a lot of scriptures, not just the scripture that we read now, but in, for instance, Proverbs 9 verse 10, we have pretty much the same thing repeated and it says the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the holy one is understanding in proverbs 15 verse 33 we have wisdom's instruction is the fear of the lord and humility comes before honor in, in psalm 100 and, 
11 verse 10, we have the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In Job 28 verse 28, we have, and he said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. So you have this repeated many times in the Bible all over the place, but what does it mean that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? Does it mean, the, be- the word beginning can mean sort of the chief part, the principal part, or it can mean the beginning chronologically, or, or the beginning in sequence, if I can put it that way, the starting point. So which one of those does it mean? Now, if you look at the book of Proverbs, it never says that the fear of the Lord is the starting point of wisdom and then you leave it behind and move on with it. It does say that it's the beginning, it's the starting point, but, it, but it's not a starting point that you move on from. Um, it's, it's a starting point that you continue on. So it's, it's a doorway into wisdom, but then it's also the pathway of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is both the doorway and the pathway. Okay? Now, it, it's not saying that the fear of the Lord is the chief part or the principal part of wisdom as though you can, you know, it's, it's, it's the most important part of wisdom, but you can also have other wisdom apart from it. It's not saying that. In fact, in, in all the other wisdom literature, and, and this is a, was a common kind of literature in that time in the ancient Near East, the Egyptians, the Sumerians, all of those guys had forms of wisdom writing like Proverbs. But in none of them, not one of them, do you have this concept of the fear of the Lord. You just have practical common sense. So the wisdom of the Bible, biblical wisdom, is very different from the wisdom of the time. So it says the fear of the Lord is is the beginning of wisdom. And and that means that it's the starting point. It's the doorway through which we pass into wisdom. And that's not surprising if you remember that the most important thing, A.W. Tozer said, the most important thing about you is what comes to your mind when you think about God. The most important thing about you. It's not your hairstyle. It's not your height. It's not your looks. It's not your brain capacity. It's not your your skills or your job description, the most important thing about you is what comes to mind when you think about God because everything else in your life flows out of that. And that's part of what this text is saying when it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So what is the fear of the Lord? I just want to read you a a few quotes. One of them, well, two of them are already covered um, before, but I just want to read them as, as a reminder. I see them up there on the screen. This is from Eugene Peterson. It says, despite, uh, speaking about the fear of the Lord, despite its prominence in the Bible, 150 occurrences, the term does not find wide use among modern Christians today. Fear apparently gets us off on the wrong foot. Grammarians help us regain our biblical stride by calling our attention to the fact that fear of the Lord is a bound phrase, a syntagm, The four words in English, two in Hebrew, are bound together, making a single concept or word. Its function as a single word cannot be understood by taking uh, it apart and then adding up the meanings of the different parts. Fear of the Lord is not a combination of fear plus of plus the plus Lord. Fear of the Lord is a word all its own. So we don't look up fear in the dictionary, then God, and then proceed to combine The two meanings, fear, a feeling of apprehension, plus God, a divine being worthy of worship, and then we get the fear of the Lord. That's not how it works. Okay? It's a bit like water. 
Water is H2O, right? But you cannot just look at the, at the characteristics of oxygen, an oxygen mo molecule and two hydrogen molecules, and then say that is what water is. Both oxygen and hydrogen are gases. If you put them together and they form water, it becomes a liquid, at room temperature at least. And it's the same with the fear of the Lord. It's just like H and, and uh, the, the two H's and the, and the O, we, uh, you know, the, the, the water, H2O, is more than the sum of its parts. So the fear of the Lord is as well. Okay, another example is you cannot look up the word butterfly, you know, and understand what a butterfly is by looking up the word fly and the word butter and putting them together. Oh, a butterfly is a fly that fell into the butter. No, you'd be wrong. <laughs> a butterfly is something entirely different. Okay? So it's the same with the fear of the Lord. Then, you know, uh, also, this is also from Eugene Peter. He says, the fear of the Lord is the stock biblical phrase for the way of life that is lived responsively and appropriately before God. And then the definition uh, we, we came up with last time is the fear of the Lord is a radical, reverent responsiveness to God that results in wisdom and grace, great good in all of our lives. So that is what the fear of the Lord is. I just want to read you a, a verse in Proverbs 14, verse 2. Because fear, fear can have two different meanings when relating to people. And I think this is very important. Because usually when we think of the word fear as relating to a person, I fear a person, we think of it negatively. But there is also a positive meaning of fear as relates to a person. Okay? So Proverbs 14 verse 2 says, Whoever fears the Lord walks uprightly, but those who despise him are devious in their ways. Whoever fears the Lord walks uprightly, but those who despise him are devious in their ways. Now, what are the positive ways that you can fear someone? One positive way is, and, and I've seen this in many guys, you know, when, when a guy is like really in love with a girl, there's, there's, there's a bit of fear involved there. But it's not a negative fear. When, you, when, you, when, you, when you're afraid of someone in a negative way, you're afraid that person's going to harm you. That, that person is dangerous to you and they're going to hurt you and harm you. Okay? But if you're afraid of someone in a positive way, you actually are afraid that you're going to displease them or harm them. And, and, you know, I've seen guys who are so in love with a girl that they're actually a little bit afraid of her and afraid to be around her because they're just so afraid that, that she's not going to think well of them. <laughs> I've, seen, I've also seen men who are afraid of their firstborn children. <laughs> Izan, can you help me? Have you seen men who are afraid of their firstborn children? <laughs> you, she's a doula. She, she often helps to catch babies. And, 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 and when that baby gets handed to the father, some of the fathers are like, you know, I don't know what to do with this thing, you know. I don't know what to do with her or him, you know. And, and they hold the baby, but they're sort of in awe. They sort of, you can almost see them trembling, in fear of this little baby. Now, this baby is not going to harm them. They're not trembling because this baby is dangerous to them. They're trembling because this baby is so precious to them. And they don't want to harm the baby. They don't want, to, they don't want anything to go wrong with this baby. Another example is if you meet someone who's like your hero. You know, say you're a musician like Andrew, a guitarist. And, and, and you meet someone who you consider to be the best guitarist. Who would that be for you? 
if there's one guitarist in the world that you would like to meet and jam with? John Mayer. Okay, so, so he likes John Mayer and he thinks John Mayer is like, he's, he's a really good guitar player. And he is, I've heard him, he's, he's pretty good. So imagine Andrew walking up and, and he meets John Mayer and John Mayer says, Hey Andrew, you know, and, and, and he says, wow, you know, I love your music, I also play a bit of guitar. And, and, and John Mayer says, let's jam together. And Andrew is so nervous, he can hardly hold his plectrum, you know, and he has to jam with John Mayer. And he's afraid, in a sense, of John Mayer, but not afraid that John Mayer will harm him. He's afraid to disappoint him. He's afraid because he thinks so well of him, so highly of him. He, can you see the difference between the negative and the positive fear of a person? And we see the fear of the Lord is that. I mean, even when you read it in Proverbs 1 verse 7, it, it, you can see the fear of the Lord is meant there in a positive way. Okay? So here you see it even clearer in, in Proverbs 14 verse 2. Whoever fears the Lord walks uprightly. In other words, the fear of the Lord is so positive, it has a positive effect in your life. It causes you to live well. It's like, you know, the fear of John Meyer will cause Andrew to play better guitar. <laughs> because it sort of lifts him up to a, to a higher standard. And so the fear of the Lord causes us to live better. It causes us to live uprightly because God, we, we want, don't want to displease God. So it calls us up to a higher level of living. It has a positive influence on our life. Now, Proverbs and, and, and the Psalms and stuff, the poetic literature in the Bible often uses a, a poetic device. It doesn't use, so the poetry in the Bible doesn't use rhyming. It uses what's called parallelism. I'm sure most of you have heard that term. And what it basically is, is just saying similar things in different ways. So you get synonymous parallelism where it's saying the same thing just in slightly different words. Then you get, like, this one is what's called antithetical parallelism. So it's saying exactly the opposite in the second phrase, is saying exactly the opposite of the first phrase. So it says, whoever fears the Lord walks uprightly. And then the opposite, but, and the but tells you that it's, that's a contrast and opposite here. Those who despise him are devious in their ways. So what is the opposite of the fear of the Lord, or fearing the Lord, according to this verse? Despising him. So, but that tells us, and if you look at those two as Opposites, it tells you about, if, if, if the opposite of fearing the Lord is despising the Lord, it tells you a lot about what fearing the Lord really is. Okay? Fearing the Lord, what, what, do you, what does it mean to despise someone? It's, it's not just hating someone. It is hating someone. Despising someone is hating them, but it's not just hating them. It's hating them and thinking very little of them. That's despising someone. Hating someone and thinking really little of them, not thinking well of them. So the opposite would be loving someone and thinking very highly of them. And that is what the fear of the Lord is. The fear of the Lord is not in opposition to the love of God. Fearing God is not opposed to loving God. It's the same thing as loving God. And they're often used in Scripture as kinds of synonyms. Now, fear of the Lord is goes beyond loving God in that it's also thinking very highly of God. And that causes you to tremble a bit because you think so highly of Him. But it's a loving reverence towards God. Can you see that? That's the fear of the Lord. 
Notice it says, so we said the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the doorway into wisdom. But it's not like it's the doorway in and then you leave the fear of the Lord behind and you walk your walk of wisdom apart from the fear of the Lord. Okay? The fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom is, uh, let me put it to you this way. Just like the alphabet relates to reading and numbers relate to mathematics and the scales relate to playing music, so the fear of the Lord relates to wisdom. It's not like you leave your alphabet behind when you start reading Shakespeare. You still use the alphabet. It's, it's the foundation. So it's not like you move on and leave it behind. It's the foundation. It comes first. In that sense, it's the beginning. But then you build everything else upon it and in line with it. Can you see that? In that sense, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But, and, and notice, here it says um, in, in Proverbs 14 verse 2, Whoever fears the Lord walks uprightly. But those who despise him are devious in their ways. Okay? So, there's, in other words, when it comes to both the fear of the Lord and wisdom, there's a metaphor at the heart of it that we need to understand. We were talking about the fear of the Lord as the doorway into wisdom. But what I want you to see is that metaphor shows us that the fear of the Lord is also the pathway that leads from that doorway into more wisdom. Okay, it's a walking metaphor. It's 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 a metaphor of a path and walking on that path. Okay, now there's no more efficient way of self-propulsion, self-locomotion than walking. Even the the most the, the, even the fittest athletes can actually walk further than they can run. And and it's a it's a, it's a rhythmic thing, and it's a, it's a, it's a thing of uh, walking is doing some very basic things over and over. It's taking one step and another, and then repeating, and one step and another, one step and another, and just repeating that over and over. In other words, what this is saying to us is that wisdom is not a product that you can just purchase and then you have it. The way you walk turns you either into a wise person or a foolish person. It's what you do, the little things you do every day that makes you who you are, that forms your character, that either turns you into a wise person or a foolish person. So every single decision you make, every single in the metaphor step that you take is significant because it's forming you into the person that you are busy becoming. So, let me just go back and, and read this for us in, in Proverbs 1, verse 28 to 33. And, and, and bear in mind that, that metaphor of walking on a way, on a path. Okay? And see if you can spot it here in, in these verses. So then, they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me, since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, since they would not accept my advice and spurned my rebuke, 
You know, as they were walking incorrectly, I was willing to give them advice how to walk correctly, and I, I, I rebuked them for walking incorrectly, but they rejected that. They will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of, of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, uh, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. So, note, they'll eat the fruit of their ways. Let me try and just, I mean, like I said, there's, there's that walking metaphor. And, and that walking translates from Solomon's time to our time. There's a way that we need to walk in order to, to, to be wise. And there's a way that we need to walk in, in terms of the fear of the Lord. We, it, it affects every little step we take, every little thing that we do on, on, a, on a day-to-day basis. So then it mentions two groups there. The first is the simple that's in um, verse, and I, I can't remember the verse, but it says that the waywardness of the simple will kill them. Which verse? Yeah. The waywardness of the simple will kill them. Who is the simple? The simple, and, and these groups, the simple and the foolish, they appear throughout the book of Proverbs. And the simple are those, usually young people, who are gullible and who want to impress a certain group. They care a lot about what their friends think. So they're willing to do reckless and stupid things, foolish things, in order to be in the in crowd. So, so, so they are people who don't have moral backbone. They, they're gullible, but they're also weak, and therefore they're easily led astray. So not only are they all over the place and they're constantly changing, but even when they find the right path, they, they, they easily slip off it and they wayward and they wander off the path because they, they're always going with the flavor of the month. They're always going with what other people think. So, so the simple are people who care too much about what others think because they want others to accept them. They want to be in. That's the simple. Then the next group is the fool. The foolish. So simpletons and, and fools. The fool is almost exactly the opposite. The fool does not turn away from the way that he's walking because he's so convinced that his way is right. The fool, in other words, is arrogant and proud and so self-assured, so wise in his own eyes that he never changes. He doesn't take any advice from anyone. That's the fool. So Where the simple care too much about what people think and it leads them astray. The fool cares too little about what people think. (laughs) And he can never find the right way. But what the Bible says is what we must be is the wise. But if you say, you know, you're not supposed to, you know, care too much about what people think like the simple. You're not supposed to care too little about what people think like the the fool. What are you supposed to do? Just care like a little bit about what people think? (laughs) It's not so much about what people think. What is missing from both the simple and the fool? Caring about what God thinks. That's what's missing. That's what's missing. The fear of the Lord. Because the fear of the Lord is caring deeply about what God thinks. They didn't choose 
to fear God. They didn't choose to care what he thinks. And that's why they either care too much or too little about what people think. And they go astray. But it says the wise, those who listen to wisdom and those who listen by implication to God, will walk in safety, um, in ease, and not in fear of harm. So, where are we in that spectrum? Are we fools who care too much about what other people think? Or, uh, sorry, are we the simple, simpletons who care too much about what other people think? Fools who care too little about what other people think? Or are we wise? The wise who care primarily about what God thinks and therefore listen to others when we have to. But ignore foolish things when, when other people say them. Where, where do we fit in? And, and I think that the, the problem is if we honestly, really honestly look at ourselves, we will say, yes, maybe there are areas in which I'm wise, but there are also areas in which I'm simple and there are areas in which I'm foolish. I often, like, like a simpleton, you know, care too much about what other people think, and I'm, I'm too eager to please other people. And, and sometimes, like a fool, I'm, I'm, you know, stubborn, and I don't listen enough to other people. Rochelle, you're not allowed to say amen. <laughs> I can just hear her saying, yes, that's what I've been saying. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to my husband. <laughs> the fool never listens to me. So stubborn, so stiff-necked. <laughs> I think many wives feel like that from time to time. (laughs) So, if that is true, if we are sometimes simpletons and fools, shouldn't we then be scared of God? Shouldn't we then fear Him in the negative sense of the word? Because here's the thing. You ought to be afraid of someone if they are dangerous, firstly, and if they are evil. So someone can be dangerous but not a danger to you because they're dangerous but they're not evil. They're not malicious. They don't want to harm you. Or or you should be afraid of someone if they're dangerous and they're good and you're evil. Right? And the problem is, doesn't that describe us and God a bit? The Bible, when it's, I mean, the Bible is, is really blunt. I mean, Jesus says <laughs> to, to the Jews that he's ministering to, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, and we're like, whoa, Jesus, that's not politically correct. You can't just call people evil. <laughs> What's, what, what are you doing? Jesus is blunt. Humanity, compared to God and his goodness, humanity, all of humanity are evil. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That includes us. We're not Christians because we're better than anyone else. We're not Christians because we deserve to be saved. We don't deserve to be saved, not a single one of us. So shouldn't we be afraid of God? I I once, a couple of years ago, read through the, the Narnia, the Chronicles of Narnia books with my children. They quite enjoyed them. And there's this one place where the beaver, um, what, what, what C.S. Lewis 
the author does in the Chronicles of Narnia is he uses allegory, or f- well, sort of a form of allegory, to represent the Christian message in a, a different story. So, for instance, Jesus is represented by a lion called Aslan, because Jesus is the lion of Judah, so Aslan represents Jesus. And he also, in the story, dies and is, is resurrected. Um, <clears throat> but before the kids, they get sort of transported through a wardrobe. The book is name is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. So they walk through a wardrobe into a different realm, into, into Narnia. And then they hear about Aslan. They, they meet all these animals who can talk and so on. And, and this one beaver sort of leads them. And then they ask this beaver, when they hear about Aslan the lion, they ask, is he safe? And the beaver says, no, he's not safe. But he is good. He's not safe, but he is good. And that's, that's how he is with God. God is not safe, but he is good. But that's a problem to us. <laughs> the, the fact, we think the fact that, that, that God is good is, is, is good news to us. But if you're not good, then a good God is not good news to you. It's bad news. <laughs> because a good God is going to judge you. So shouldn't we be afraid of him? Shouldn't we be terrified of him? And, and that's where, fortunately, the gospel comes in. It says, in fact, let me um, see if I can, yeah, let me do that. It says in, in those verses that we read, Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me. All kinds of negative effects of the simpletons who have rejected God, not listened to him, not chosen to fear him, not chosen to, to heed his advice, etc. But then it says at the end, but whoever listens to me, and by implication fears me, will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. And the, uh, the amazing thing is that, if not for Jesus, we, we would be between a rock and a hard place in terms of uh, fearing the Lord. Jesus didn't hate knowledge, but he chose to fear the Lord. He accepted advice, He never even needed a rebuke. Yet, when he called on God, he received no answer. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Silence. Jesus was the ultimate wise man, the ultimate God-fearer. And yet, when he called on the Lord, he received no answer. Not only... That, it says of, of those who, who are simple and foolish, they will eat the fruit of their ways. If Jesus ate the fruit of his ways, he'd only receive blessing. Yet he didn't. He received death. Destruction. In other words, he ate the fruit of our ways. He lived the, the perfect, wise, God-fearing life, and he ate the fruit of our ways. And he was filled with the fruit of our schemes. Now, now, being filled takes it beyond just eating. Eating is like eating once. But, but being filled is eating until you're full, until you've eaten everything. And Jesus ate all the fruit of our schemes and ways. He did not live in safety, at ease, or without fear of harm. Think of Gethsemane. How Jesus, says blood turned, became like, his sweat became like blood. Because just of his, his terror and saying, 
God, if at all possible, let this bitter cup pass me by. This cup, I know what's in this cup. It's the wrath of Almighty God. It's your rejection. It's your judgment. And I have to drink it to the dregs. If at all possible, let this pass me by. And I think, I mean, Jesus was no coward. Jesus was, I mean, if ever there was, were a courageous man who lived, it was Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He didn't have a scared bone in his body. If drinking that cup terrified Jesus, just think how terrible that cup must be, the cup of the wrath of Almighty God. And not only, not only the wrath of Almighty God, but the rejection of Almighty God. Jesus had been living with the Father for all of eternity in the most intimate relationship you can imagine. And he knew that cup that he had to drink was not only God judging him, but God rejecting him, him giving up, receiving rejection from the one he'd been living with for eternity in perfect harmony and love. I mean, we can't even imagine how much that must hurt. Even though he always listened, he did not live in safety or at ease or without fear of harm. He was killed as though he were simple and destroyed as though he were a fool. All so that we could have the grace to learn wisdom, even though we are often simple fools. Jesus ate the fruit of our ways so that we can receive grace. Repent, be forgiven, and keep learning, keep growing, keep growing in the fear of the Lord, keep growing in wisdom, keep walking step by step. Even when we stumble and fall, he can pick us up. And I think of, of this, there's a passage, and I just want to um, sort of end with this, in, in Proverbs where it says, write these things on your heart. Now, what Jesus does is he, he's the Christ. He's the anointed one. He's the one who has the Holy Spirit. And he sends his Holy Spirit. He doesn't only tell us to write these things on our hearts. He sends his Holy Spirit to write these things on our heart so that we can walk in the fear of the Lord. And, and that means that even though, objectively speaking, we should fear God in the negative sense of the word because he is dangerous to us. He is good and we're not. We should fear him in the negative sense of the word. Because of what Jesus did, we can fear him in the positive sense of the word, of being in awe of him, of thinking highly of him, of wanting to please him. Like a father that loves us and that we love and just want to please. Because that is what and who he is to us. And that's what it means to walk in the fear of the Lord and become wise. Yes? Okay, thank, thank you for that question. So the question is, how does the fear of the Lord and wisdom relate to moving forward? You know, going on, taking action. Um, you know, I was, it's interesting, I actually had a conversation with a friend um, in the week where we were saying so many times, we as charismatics especially, because you like you know, me, he's also someone who believes in, in, in the Lord speaking prophetically and, and the gifts of the Spirit and so on. He said, so, so often we're so waiting for God to tell us to do every little thing that we don't take action. We, we're sort of waiting to God, okay, what must I eat today? What must I wear today? And, and those are decisions that 
you know, parents make for their little toddlers and, and little children. But you want your children to grow up and to be able to make those decisions for, for yourself, for themselves. And so God wants us to grow up in wisdom and to be able to make those decisions for ourselves. We shouldn't be constantly looking to him for permission and say so and what every little step I must take. We must have wisdom to make those decisions. And having wisdom actually frees us, like Arthur says, to move forward, make decisions, take risks, and go forward. But, but more than that... Fearing the Lord and, and the wisdom that comes from it, when you fear the Lord, you see God as the biggest, most powerful, most scary thing in your universe. And therefore, because you fear Him, you don't fear anything else. And you don't fear failure or success. You don't fear enemies or obstacles. And it frees you to move forward, to, to, to be bold, to take risks. And to live well. To live really well. So the fear of the Lord is, is, is not a negative fear. It's, it's a loving, trusting reverence for God that actually sets us free from everything else that binds us. And it enables us to live well. Who of you want that? I certainly want that. Let's stand. I just want you to, to really focus on the Lord because that's what we've been talking about. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about the people around you. It's between you and God. And I just want you to close your eyes, focus on the Lord. Just lift up your hands to the Lord, just in a gesture of surrender and openness to Him. And ask Him, say to Him, Lord, teach me the fear of the Lord and teach me wisdom. And whatever else the Lord laid on your heart, whatever else the Lord convicted you of, just bring it before the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, help me with this. And I know some of you, the Lord is convicting that you do know what to do, you have known what to do, God even told you what to do and you didn't do it. And if that is you, just bring that before the Lord as well and just say, Lord, I'm sorry. I repent of not obeying you, of, not, of always praying but never obeying. Please forgive me. If there's anything that the Holy Spirit convicted you of not fearing the Lord and not being quick to obey him, just bring it before him and say, Lord, I repent. I turn away from it. Father God, we just come before you, Lord, and, and we know that so, so very often we're so self-centered, Lord, and, and we, we admit that, Lord. It's, it's so easy for us to, to live self-centered lives in a self-centered world. It's hard for us to live God-first lives in a, in a me-first world. It's so easy for us to be like the simpleton 
who cares too much about other, what other people think because we want other people to like us. It's all about us. Or it's so easy to be like the fool who just stubbornly goes on doing what we think is right because it's all about us. But Lord, we don't want to be simpletons and fools. We want to be wise. We want to be like you, Father. We want that family resemblance to be there. We want to have your family values. And we pray that you'll help us with that. And we thank you that you so graciously lead us and instruct us. Rebuke us. Advise us. Comfort us. Encourage us in your wisdom. Please help us to grow, to continue to grow in that. Thank you, Lord, that that you loved us so much that you were willing to be treated like a simple fool on our behalves. So that we can be treated like the wise. Lord, I just want to pray, Lord, that we will have that, not just sometimes, Lord, but all the time, that we'll choose the fear of the Lord and choose to always care most about what you think. Help us to do that consistently, please, Lord. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.